Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Scripture though, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. This is where we're going to park today, and um, we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures. But this is the main one uh, that we're going to look at, that we're going to look at for what's after ATX. Today, I want to talk to you about relationships in the afterlife. So last week we talked about the fact that there is an afterlife, that God has something planned for us. But today I really want to talk about relationships, um, specifically relationships that we have right here and right now with people. What's that going to look, what are those going to look like as we move forward into the afterlife? So probably not quite as much preaching today, maybe a little more teaching. Tiffany, good to see you. Yeah, uh, give it up for JT. Um, but, but really what I want to do is, is I want to share what relationships are. And so I'm going to touch base on like personal relationships, friends friendships, marriages, things like that. But I thought I would start off with the one relationship everybody's really wondering about. Uh, What's going to happen with my pets? So Cassie, I know this is the real, this is the real thing. Uh, What's going to happen with my pets? Uh, Are my pets going to be in heaven? I know my kids are wondering about this. Um, Back late last year, man, we lost our pet, lost Destin, our our sweet dog of like almost 14 years. And uh, man, my son is still grieving that. So we're still talking about what's going to happen to our pets. And um, there's a couple of trains of thought here, and I just want to break it real, break it down real simple for you. Uh, First and foremost, Scripture does teach that animals are different than humans. Okay, so um, they are not your babies. They are, babies are humans. Um, Puppies are dogs. So we have different words for them because they're different things. So animals are different from humans. This is, this is really clear in the Genesis account. They're made on entirely different days and in entirely different ways. So God made animals much in the same way he made plants and trees and other living things. He just spoke them into, he's let there be this, let there be that, and they were. But when he made humans, he took special care. He, he personally got down into the dirt and formed humans. All right, Jonathan, I hear you. I hear you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you for that. He literally got down in the dirt and formed humans with his own hand and breathed into the human his own breath. So this makes humans separate and different and in, in a way more special because uh, we have the breath of life. Animals don't have the breath of life. So it is true that animals don't have a soul. Um, they do not have spirits. However, um, I feel like uh, if the only things which are in heaven are things which have souls, um, then really you have to cross out the streets of gold because gold also doesn't have a soul. You have to get rid of the gates of pearl. Pearls do not have souls. I don't care what the person down on 6th Street told you. They do not have spirits, okay? It's just, it's just a pearl, man. It's just, it's just, okay? And so these things were created by God. They don't have spirits, so they are not eternal like humans are. Humans have an, an inner man, an inner person, a spirit, a soul, which, which is eternal from the moment of creation, the moment God creates you, until, uh, until he takes you home. We're going to live forever somewhere, but animals will not. And so, in a very real sense, uh, animals, uh, you know, our pet specifically won't be in heaven. But at the same time, um, there are other things which are in heaven which do not have souls, like gold, pearls, trees. There are trees in heaven. Um, There's fruit in heaven. There's all kinds of interesting things, especially in the new heaven. So what I've told my kids, and what I'll tell you guys, is that 
the whole, the whole reason why animals were created to begin with was to glorify God, to bring him glory, and to bring us pleasure, to bring us joy, bring us companionship, uh, bring us laughter, uh, bring us a challenge sometime to potty train. Come on, somebody. Uh, to, to bring uh, more experience to us. And so if that's true on this side, and God says he has something even better for us, um, what I've told my kids is I wouldn't put it past God to have Destin in heaven with us, to just simply recreate it. I mean, just simply speak it into existence, and there is Destin. Same personality, perhaps same memories, I don't know. Same face, same body shape, except not crippled by arthritis like she was struggling with there toward the end, um, but in perfect health. And so I really feel, Scripture says, uh, the psalm says that at his right hand, at God's right hand in heaven, are pleasures forevermore. All right, and so uh, a cat and a dog or a pet pet goat, I don't know, a llama, whatever you have, is a certain kind of pleasure. But my goodness, if there are pleasures forevermore, I wouldn't put it past God at all uh, for, for destined to be waiting for Micah uh, in heaven, um, because that's the kind of God we serve. He loves to create things just simply for his glory and for our joy and for our pleasure. So, um, you know, uh, do, do, do animals have spirits? No. Will animals be in heaven? Well, yeah, we know a lion and a lamb will be. They're going to lay down together. So apparently, if lions and lambs get in, I think all dogs can go to heaven too. Come on, somebody. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's just jump into that relationship. But now on to the little more, ser more serious relationships, family and friends and things like that. Um, there's actually a lot written in Scripture about that, but I'm going to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Brothers and sisters, this is the NIV version, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that, this is why, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Those who have no hope. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you, uh, that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to get back into this here in a second, but I want to read through it. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, he says, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18 is the main verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I want to go back to the beginning of this passage. and We're going to walk through this here in the next few minutes. He starts off this is, the this is near the closing of the book, the first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he has some wonderful things to say to this church. If you actually read the whole epistle, he's got some great things to say about this church. They're a pretty good church. And now he's saying, guys, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be ignorant, I think is what King James says. Don't be, don't be stupid. Touch somebody and say, don't be stupid. We don't want you to be uninformed. Now, stupid is when you're uninformed on purpose. It's when you refuse to learn. But Paul's here is saying, I don't want you to miss out on some information. 
Now, I know many times in our day and in our context, we are seeking inspiration all the time. It's like I'm waiting for somebody to inspire me, somebody to pump me up. And sometimes church can become that. All right, pastor, inspire me, turn, stir me up. Like, let's get going. Well, okay, I'm not, I'm not here to inspire you today. I'm here to inform you. Because actually, according to Paul, sometimes inspiration comes from information. You need actually some information. There's only one thing that separates, according to Paul, the people who are grieving like the rest of the world, he says, those with no hope, and the believers who are grieving differently, apparently. Apparently, what you know or don't know affects how you live. Apparently, if you, if, if, if you know as much as the rest of the world, you will react in the same way that the rest of the world reacts. Well, now we're, okay, now we're touching on some real stuff because over the past five weeks, we've seen the rest of the world react to COVID-19. We've seen the rest of the world react to restrictions and being stuck in their home. We've seen the rest of the world react to their kids being in their faces all day, every day. But I'm telling you, there is, there is some knowledge, according to Paul, there's some information that's actually going to help you react differently. There's some things you need to know. And that's actually what this whole sermon series is about. I hope and pray this sermon series opens your eyes and opens your mind, really, to the possibilities of what Scripture says is just as real, in fact, more real than this physical world, and that is the spiritual world. And Paul says, man, if you don't, if you don't know this, you are not going to be able to grieve in the way that God wants you to grieve, specifically with hope. So there is a connection between your knowledge you have in your head and the hope you hold in your heart. So knowledge and hope are connected. Uh, last week I talked about how hope is a seed and it grows faith and love, according to, according to Colossians. It produces faith and love. But now I'm talking about actually where this kind of hope comes from. It comes from revelation, from information, specifically about what happens at the end. And so this is my sermon title for you today, and I don't have it to put on the screen, but you can just, you can just type this in the comments, and uh, if you're really edgy, you'll type this as your, as your status profile. Uh, uh, is, this, this is my sermon title, uh, and, it's, and it's real simple. I know how this ends. Now, I'm saying if you're real edgy and you put that in your, as your profile, you get all kinds of arguments and people will start Trump, bashing Trump and then other people will defend Trump and then he's part of the Illuminati and he's really not. And Anyway, they'll send you links to YouTube. It'll be really interesting. It'll be amazing. But um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about I know how COVID ends because uh, I really don't. I have no idea. I have been really surprised every step of the way. I'm surprised that we had Easter with nobody in the building. You know what I'm saying? I, this, this whole thing is pretty shocking to me. I don't know how this ends. And I don't even know how America ends. Um, but I know how something greater ends, and that is the, the wrapping up of the ages. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, look, look, if you can just wrap your mind around how this ends, it will do something for you right now here in the middle. What you know about the ending will affect what you, what you feel about the middle. How many, like, uh, that, 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 that's, that's true in all of life, man. I mean, does anybody, does, are there any other husbands who have to watch The Notebook every now and then? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, you guys, like, the tech team, do you guys get forced? It's like an annual thing. Ro loves The Notebook, and we have to watch it at least, like, on her birthday or something. It's a, like, yeah, The Notebook. I, if, if you haven't seen it, just... 
thank the Lord for that and keep on going with your life. Don't Google it. Um, it was nice the first like couple, like 10 times I saw it. But my goodness, I mean, it's, 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 it's just so many awkward stares, so much awkward silence, so many angry arguments over misunderstandings because he wrote letters, okay? And apparently she didn't get letters. And, and so if, you've, if you're watching it for the first time, it's quite frustrating and agitating. It's like, for crying out loud, why don't you just say what you wrote? Why are you writing these letters and then getting upset at her for not reading them? Anyway, and it's, it's, but, but, but the thing is now, I've seen it enough times, I know how it ends. It, it, like they, they end as a nice old sweet couple who died together on the same night. And thankfully, mercifully, the movie ends and it's over. Like it's like a marathon. I don't know how long the movie is. I've never actually kept track. It feels like it's like, it's like, it's like 10 years in Tibet or seven years, whatever that movie, that other movie. Oh my goodness. It feels like it goes on and on. But because I know how it ends, I can make it through the middle. Well, that's true, not of like, you know, cheesy chick flicks, but it's also true of, of this life that how this ends should inspire you to react differently, specifically with regard to grief. So for all of you that have lost a loved one, for all of you that have lost a friend or, or even a pet, for those of you that have grieved, and I think almost all of us have experienced some level of grief, um, God has something he really wants us to know. The Holy Spirit, um, through Paul's handwriting, is informing us. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed about this, specifically about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind, those who have no hope. Okay, so I know how this ends, and because of that, I have hope. Because of that, I have hope right here and right now. So I want to talk to you today about hope that comes from a knowing, not just from a feeling. And verse 14 reaffirms that. He says, for we believe. That doesn't, he doesn't say we feel this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring Jesus with those who have fallen asleep in him. And so we want to talk about what, what you know. We want to talk about what you believe today. And one thing we need to believe is that Jesus rose from the dead and that those who have fallen asleep in him, that means people who had faith in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, followed him, submitted their life to him, that those ones who died in that state, that they are not actually dead, they're actually sleeping. So there's two things that I know, and I, these, these, these are my two points. The first point is that they're not really dead, is that dead people aren't really dead. Um, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul does not call them simply dead. He calls them sleeping. He says, uh, don't want you to be informed about those who sleep. And then again, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Uh, and then again in verse 15, uh, we who are left in the coming of the Lord will certainly not proceed those who have fallen asleep. And time and time again, actually in the New Testament, this is how the New Testament writers talk about death. And you say, well, where did they get this idea? Well, they got it from Jesus himself. If we could turn to John chapter 11, uh, verse 11, when, when Lazarus, Jesus's friend, was sick and uh, he was dying and Jesus delayed going to visit with him, finally, when Jesus um, picks, picks himself up and tells his disciples, hey, we're going to go visit with, with, with Lazarus, what, this is what he tells him. After that, he said to his disciples, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. 
And in verse 12, Jesus is so funny. Sometimes he just talks reality, and he doesn't inform people that he's not talking according to their way of thinking. I don't know if he does that with you or not, but anyway, it certainly happens a lot. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. But I think, honestly, I think that's part of the point. Actually, the disciples, even though they were off in what Jesus meant, they were correct in what the statement meant. Like, they perceived, they realized why Jesus said he was sleeping. Because if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And honestly, that's the point of the New Testament. I believe that's the point of Paul saying, hey, they're not dead, they're sleeping. The reason he's saying they're sleeping is because if they're sleeping, they'll get better. If they're, if they're dead, death is permanent. But for believers, for those that have put their faith in Jesus and have submitted to him, believers, for them, they're sleeping. Because if they are sleeping, they will get better. And that's the point. That when we lay believers down, that when we lower their body into the ground, we, we say the words that we're laying them to rest. Specifically because they're not going to stay there forever. And so for the believer, we believe that, that, that they are at a state of rest like they were sleeping. And that's the point, that he will recover. Which is why we can grieve with hope. With hope of what? With hope that the person that we love, that we'll see them again. That they will recover. They're not dead. They're sleeping. And if he's sleeping, if she's sleeping, if Destin is sleeping, they will recover. I threw in Destin. I threw in our dog in there for just, just for Micah, who's, who's listening. They will recover because, because this is what sleep does. Sleep is something you recover from. <laughs> sleep is something you wake up from. Sleep is something that's actually doing something while you're sleeping. It is restoring. It's, it's literally, I, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm fascinated by sleep. It's crazy. You, do you know you wake up taller and thinner every morning? <laughs> this is awesome for me. You wake up taller and thinner every morning. That's because while you sleep, your spine stretches out and all the weight of you standing up all day long compresses your spine. But in sleep, your spine stretches out. So you're actually a couple of inches taller um, and you haven't eaten for eight, eight hours or however long. So you're also skinnier. But people who go into outer space, actually, they come back taller because there's no gravity crushing their, their spine down. But sleep, my point is sleep is doing stuff. Now, of course, by the end of the day, you're back to your shorter and chubby yourself. So I'm sorry about that. But, um, but sleep is doing something. It is restoring. It is regenerating. It is renewing your body. Your body is literally rebuilding itself in the sleep. And that, if that's true in the physical, it's also true right here and right now. That while our loved ones are sleeping, Scripture says that God is restoring all things to himself. He is realigning all things, and he is preparing all things for their resurrection. So if they sleep, they will get better. That's the first point of hope. But it's also a state of rest. When you're sleeping, you're resting. And Jesus talks about this in Luke um, chapter 16. We don't have that on the screen for you, but in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about um, two men who died. One died who was not uh, submitted to God, and he went to the other place, you know, the backside of Mount Rushmore that we talked about last week. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but then there was another one, a man named Lazarus, who went into what Jesus said was the bosom of Abraham, meaning he was resting 
in Abraham's lap. Now, I know that sounds weird, and there's no social distancing to that statement. It's a little bit awkward even, but you have to understand that in that culture, like during, during a meal, the, the families, they were a lot more touchy-feely. So you, you, you were laying down already while you ate. You were, you were like laying on your side, and so oftentimes you, you would lay back and I guess just snuggle with people, just lean back on people, especially family, all right? Not just anybody, but family. And that's really what Jesus is saying. Did you know that Lazarus is actually related to Abraham? Because he is. Abraham is Lazarus's great, 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 multiplied by 100 grandfather. And now he is resting in the embrace of Abraham. He's resting. So one thing about this idea of sleep is that it is a time of resting. So those that have passed on, I think of... Uh, I think of uh, J.T. and Alma's uh, Hector. Uh, I think of, uh, of course, uh, 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 others who have passed on in our church. And I don't know why Hector just stands out to me right now, but he, he received Jesus and he dedicated his life to Jesus before he passed away at a very early age. But he's resting. Like he's, he's, he's reclining. He's relaxed. And, 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 that's, and that's important that Jesus tells us that Lazarus is not sleeping in the way we think of sleep. When we think of sleep, we think of unconscious, like you're out, you're, your brain's not really working. But that's not, that's not what's happening in Jesus' parable in Luke 16. This guy's brain is fully functioning. Both of their brains are fully functioning. They're fully alive and awake, but they are at a type of rest that can only be described in this present age as sleep. And so there's this, there's this deep rest uh, like, because even in sleep, you can sleep restlessly. Even here on this earth, you can, even at the time you're supposed to be sleeping, you can, your brain can be racing and it keeps you up at night. But, but what, what, it, what he's saying is that it's a place of deep rest, not of unconsciousness, but of rest. So we believe, according to scripture, that our loved ones who have died in Christ, that they're not out of it, that they're not, um, they're not just in this black void, but rather they are reclining. They're relaxing in the embrace a family. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, perhaps Abraham, you know, as we're related to him through faith, but other family members who have gone before and others who have, who have, who have gone on before us, they, they're ready to embrace us and hold us. And we, we, we sit in that embrace. Come on, all, this, all, the, all, the, all the touchy-feely people right now, like that's heaven for you. Social distancing is kind of like Hades. Um, but man, this, this is an eternal Embrace, And I believe it's an embrace that's more than just a physical hug, obviously, because in their current state, they're, they're not reunited with their body. So they're only spiritual beings. This spiritual being is in being embraced. And I thought it was really cool how JT talked about like a, a yellow goo that was like surrounding him. And I wonder, I, I don't know, I wonder if that's sort of part of the embrace, the warmth and the, and the fellowship and the connection that is just immediate. That's not like, oh, I have to go up to you and hug you, but there's just this immediate connection and warmth. Um, I don't know, it's pretty fascinating, but somehow they're sleeping, they're resting, and actually 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us that when we are absent from the body as believers, then that at that moment, then we are immediately present with the Lord. And so obviously connection with others is part of that, but connection with God is the greatest part of that. And so God is with others. So my first point today is that um, they're not really dead, that our loved ones are not really dead. They are sleeping, which means one, they'll wake up and we're, we're hopeful, we're excited about that. But it also means too, that they are resting, that they're not striving, they're not sick anymore. They're not dealing with the, with the pressures 
and anxiety of trying to provide for themselves or their family. They're not, they're not concerned about, they're truly resting in a way that we probably haven't ever achieved here, uh, down here, because there's always something on our mind. Uh, but man, uh, you, see, you, see it, you see it right there, resting with family. The second point is that they're not behind us. Uh, they're not uh, stuck. And I, I think this is the main point of this passage in First Thessalonians. So I want to read, go, I want to go back to that, where he says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed. Um, in verse 14, it says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring Jesus, uh, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, right? According to the Lord's word. Now, this is interesting in verse 15. Paul starts out this next section. He says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you. Now, Paul doesn't always say that. We understand that the letters like Romans and, and uh, many of the epistles that Paul has written, uh, the Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, many of the epistles that Paul has written, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they were, they were recognized as such when they were received, and that's why they're part of the canon of Scripture. But sometimes Paul will say in those letters, he'll say, um, this, is, this is my opinion. This is not the Lord saying that this, this is me saying this, you know. And, 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 and so you have that in Scripture. You have it inspired by the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, man, Paul must have been a really <laughs> bold person. The Holy Spirit is inspiring him with all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'd really like to tell him what I think. And so let me just share this a little bit. Wow, okay. So he, he, has a walk, he had a walk, has a walk with the Lord that is a little different than mine. Um, so Paul just inserts his opinion occasionally, but he always tells you that it is his opinion. And then at other times, he doesn't say if, if, it, if it's his opinion or if it's directly from Jesus. Um, he just says, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me to say. But it, you un we understand that the Holy Spirit is speaking through a human, speaking through Paul. But other times, like in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, what I received from the Lord, I now pass on to you, that on the night he was betrayed, he took up bread. And right, he starts talking about communion, meaning that somehow Jesus had directly shared this information with him. Now, when exactly that happened, he doesn't say, but this is part of what makes this passage so interesting to me is in verse 15, he says, according to the Lord's word. So this isn't my opinion anymore. This isn't, this isn't tainted by my personality. This is a direct quote from Jesus. I want to tell you exactly what he told me to tell you. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not... Like, don't you dare get this mixed up. We'll certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, that's kind of weird to me being a 21st century American Christian. I don't hear a lot of arguments about, well, who's going to rise first? You know, this, this, this is not a hot topic nowadays. But according to Jesus, this is very, very important. It's very important that you and I understand we are not going to precede those who have died. And I think, I think part of the, maybe the reason for that is if we believe that we're going to precede those who have died, then we catch on to really the, the humanistic notion that we have somehow left behind those who have died. And you hear this sometimes in people's um, speech about their loved ones who passed, especially those who are not believers. They'll say things like, oh, I can't believe he's missing this. I can't believe she's not here to see that. And it is true for an unbeliever. I'm not, I'm not addressing unbelievers right now. But for believers, it's important that you know that, one, they're not really dead. Two, they haven't really left. It's true that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But where is the Lord? 
Is he off on some distant galaxy near the planet Kolob? <laughs> That's an actual idea for some people. But no, we don't believe that. We believe the Lord is here. Moving in our midst, I worship you. I mean, he is like, he is here. He is, uh, the old song says he's as close as the mention of his name. So where is the Lord? He's here. He's with us. So if, if, if to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then where are our loved ones? They're here. They're with us. There's, there's, there's no reason to believe that they're on a street of gold because there are no streets of gold right now. When you look up the book of Revelation, you start reading about streets of gold and gates of pearls. That's in the new heaven, not the current one. That's in the new heaven. When God recreates this whole thing at the end of the age, he makes a new heaven, streets of gold, the sea of glass, all this kind of stuff. But the, but the current heaven, current heaven is is not it's not a it's not a location it's not a geographical location like you know if we send a rocket into outer space we're not going to run into it somewhere it's another dimension so what, what what is so interesting to me and i think what ought to give us hope what ought to fire us up is that one they're not really dead and two they haven't really left they haven't really gone to some mystical planet somewhere they are in the next dimension but where is that next dimension? A beautiful picture of this is painted in a scripture I do want to show you in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 2. Hebrews chapter 12 obviously comes after Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 um, is a passage all about the heroes of the faith, those who have gone on before. And even in, even in our verbiage, we say that. They've gone on before, right? Not that we've left them behind. But it's interesting. I don't, I don't even think that's in incredibly accurate. Because Jesus here uh, isn't just saying that they're, they've gone on before, they're waiting for us at the finish line. But actually, in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about all of these heroes of the faith. You got Ab Hebrews uh, chapter 11, all the Hebrews, uh, heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 12 starts with these words. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded, surrounded, well, that, that word means on every side, these people are all around us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abel, Enoch, Sarah, uh, all of these, these people, they're all, since we are surrounded, not since they're behind us and not since we are, they're waiting for us at the finish line, since we are surrounded, it says, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, I want to I want to look at this passage real quick. It's so interesting. He says we are surrounded. Yeah, JT. Yeah, mentioning Hector's name. Absolutely. I think about him a lot. Since we are surrounded. Since we are since we are surrounded. We're not looking forward to our loved ones out there and we're not looking back to our stuck loved ones in the past. We are currently surrounded. They're all around us. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now that word cloud, it literally means cloud. It's the word for fluffy white stuff in the sky. Um, but it really doesn't make much sense. Like why would a person be a cloud? Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud, 
And so it doesn't make sense until you understand the context he's talking about. He's saying that we ought to run this race that's set before us. So he's talking about an athletic game. And in those days, you know, you might have seen pictures of the great Colosseum in Rome, which was like the best Colosseum of those days. Um, they had these massive stadiums, right? Some of them weren't quite as big. The one in Ephesus was like on a little hill. But anyway, they, they built these massive gaming stadiums. Uh, not unlike our football stadiums nowadays, and they were shaped actually pretty, pretty similar. They, they kind of came up like a big bowl, and down in the field, that's where the runners were. That's where the race was being run, but all around them was this massive coliseum, and if you, if you, if you got the worst seats in the house, um, they called them the cloud. Uh, we call it the nosebleed section, you know, where you're really high. Peter and Mike and I went to a Lions football game one time, and um, I'm a big Lion, Detroit Lions fan. Uh, you can pray for me later, but um, I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, and we, went, we finally went to an, uh, an NFL football game, and it was, it was, it was really sad. Um, Detroit got crushed, um, but the cool thing was, what is this, back in 98? 98, 99, it was, it was with the St. Louis, back, I'm showing my age, St. Louis Rams, okay, so this is back when the, the St. Louis Rams and Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf, um, my goodness, we, 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 we couldn't afford like good seats, so we were up in the nosebleed section, we were in the cloud, that's what they would have said, that's what they would have said, if you show up at the games and you had those tickets way up in the highest seats, they would say, oh, so you're sitting in the cloud today, you're in the cloud because you're in the highest seat. So for us, we were in the nosebleed, that's what we call it, because there's so little air up there, you, you get a nosebleed. So we brought our binoculars, and man, you didn't need binoculars to see Detroit get whipped by, was it 35 to nothing? Is that what it was? It was... It was, a, it, was a, it was incredible to watch. Those guys were fast, even from the bleachers. I mean, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, those, I mean, it was, it, was so, it was so bad that the, uh, that, you know, that, 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 the, that the fans, the fans for, for the St. Louis Rams actually left like in the fourth quarter because it was over. So we had these horrible seats and our fans were just drinking. They were like really drinking by that point. <laughs> Detroit fans are just, they're gone. And uh, we decided we don't want to be in a drinking party. So we walked around and got down real close behind Kurt Warner, behind the St. Louis. I'm still a big Detroit fan, but it's, I mean, when greatness is right there in front of you, I mean, we hadn't seen that kind of offense before. It was awesome, but, but we were way up there, and that, that's what Paul's saying here. He says, since we're surrounded by such a, such a great Colosseum, and you can't even imagine the size of the Colosseum. Like, Scripture tries to give us words to describe how many, just how many angels are up there. Uh, I, think, I think in the book of Revelation, it says myriads and myriads. No, that's in Hebrews. Myriads of myriads. What is a myriad? Some people say it's a million. I don't know. In the book of Revelation, he says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I think John, I think the Bible likes math about as much as I do because there's nothing very clear about those figures. All we know is that it is the most biggest stadium. It's the craziest uh, tallest i mean the clouds probably actually are in the we're talking a massive stadium and paul is talking about this and he says look we are surrounded in this stadium and he's talking about those who have died and they have faith in jesus so they're not like sleeping like they're zonked out somewhere but they're literally, and they, they're not in front of us waiting for us to finally, you know, get to the end days. And they're not behind us waiting to wake up someday. They are literally around us. 
And this is why I believe that our loved ones and those that have died in faith can actually see what's going on. Because if you step into a stadium, what is the main focus of every stadium? The field. The field, that's the main focus. Every seat is turned toward the field. All attention is on the field. All the cheering has to do with what's happening on the field, unless you're a Detroit fan, <laughs> in, which, in which case, you know, it's like they have a party and then their team just doesn't do much. But, but in a regular sporting event, all the focus, the U of M games, all right, all the focus is on the field. The excitement is about the field. Everything is about the field. And so I believe that we're surrounded by these people that have gone on before and the focus is the field. You and I are on the field. We're running our race. This is our time. Our grandparents ran their race. Our, our forefathers ran their race. John Wesley ran his race. Those that have gone before us ran their race. And now they've stepped into the bleachers and they're cheering us on. They're, they're like, they, like they, they, and, and, and I don't know if they can see the details. Like, I don't know if they can see when we stop, why we stop. You know what I mean? You're running your race and then you, you sit down for a while. So why is he looking at that computer screen all day? What's with the controller and uh, he's standing in front of that screen? What's he doing? What's he doing? Why isn't he running? I don't know if they can see, I don't know if they can see the stuff that makes us stop or even the stuff that encourages us to go forward, but I believe they're cheering every single step of the way. And Paul says, look, this is what's going to give you hope in the moment right now. That it's not just God pulling for you. It's not just Jesus praying for you. It's not just all of heaven cheering for you. But there are actually your loved ones and those who have gone before. They're, 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 they're able to see the progress that you're making. I don't know the details that they can see. I imagine it has to do with how close you are to the field. I imagine that if you're in the, the bleachers, you know, if you're in the, the nosebleed section, you can't see very much. But apparently, Moses and Elijah got to see some pretty powerful stuff on the Mount of Transfiguration. They even got a little chat with the all-star quarterback <laughs> during the huddle. I don't know how that works, but they must be pretty close to the field. I think they got some pretty good seats. And, 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 but what they can see, what everybody can see, is who's winning. What everybody can see is the scoreboard. What everybody can see is the progress that you're making, moving closer toward God every step you take. I believe people are cheering you on. You can't hear them, but, 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 but they're, they're, they're cheering. You can't see them, but they're up on their feet. You can't, you can't, you, every first down in your life, every movement toward God, every commitment toward him, every step in the right direction, every time you put faith in him, every time you turn away from sin, every time you pick up the Bible, every time you go to him in prayer, I believe that there are cheers and celebrations happening because the kingdom of God is moving forward and we're winning. And wow, did you see that? Which brings me to another point. You know, I know, I know someone in our small group mentioned that, that she, she's always been, kind of had a strange fear that she's going to die and she's not going to know anybody. She's going to go to heaven and, and, and no one's going to know her. She's not going to know anyone. Because some of us, we don't have that many loved ones who have gone on before to heaven. They've gone on to other places, perhaps, but we're not sure that they're in heaven. And so there is a sense of, my goodness, is anybody going to know me? Well, look, if, 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 if right now, if Barry Sanders walked in the room, I would know him. I've never met the guy, but he's the, he's the GOAT. He's the best running back for Detroit Lions of all time. I mean, he beats out Emmett Smith 
Um, so I'll just have that argument with you anytime you want. Um, but all, all you Dallas fans, I would know, look, if, if Michael Jordan walked in your living room, you would know him. You don't, I mean, you don't know him. You've never, you've probably never said hi to him, but you would feel an instant connection because you've been watching him play. I, I was, I think I was like 10 years old when he made that awesome, uh, I don't know what it was, a layup, jump, dunk thing uh, in the playoff game. Uh, he, he jumped from the free throw line and the ball goes to one hand, goes to the other, goes to the other as he's falling down, tosses it up off the glass. I mean, I, my mouth was open. I was, I had never seen, it was magic. It was sheer magic. I feel like I know the guy and, 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 and I don't. I've never met him. But hey, MJ, if you're watching this, get my number later. We'll have lunch. It'll be great. Um, and, uh, but no, like seriously, you would know them. And I think that's the same way in heaven. They've been watching you. They've been cheering for you. They saw you take that step toward God. They saw you make that play. They saw you share Jesus with somebody else. They rejoiced when you, when, 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 when you believed when other people weren't believing. They rejoiced when you stood when other people were falling. They rejoiced throughout your life. And when you step off of, of that field, you're going to be greeted by not only a bunch of fans, but a whole bunch of veterans who've, who've also been in the field. They know what it's like, and they know how much it costs you. And they're going to welcome you. So I believe that we are surrounded we're surrounded. And so because, Paul says, because we're surrounded, let's go. Let's, let's lay aside sin. Let's get rid of weights that are entangling us, man. Other people are watching. Other people are cheering. Other people are relying on us to carry on what they started. Your praying grandma, right, who prayed you into the kingdom, she didn't just want you just to, just, just, just to say a prayer. She, she wanted you to go after God. She wanted you to train up your kids after him. She wanted you to marry somebody who is godly and build a godly marriage and home together. And these things, they're cheering for these things. And it's, I don't think it's lost on them. You know, I think of Nick and Carol and Nick. Nick, Nick, Nick loved seeing, uh, man, the kids' faces, the kids-fed ministry. He loved delivering food to them and seeing their smiles. And, and he started it. He couldn't finish it, but he started it. Hopefully, we all die having started something. Hopefully, we don't die. And it's like, well, I have nothing else to do. So uh, I'm just waiting for the Lord to take me. No, man. Moses died on the edge of the promised land, looking over what he had brought everybody. He started something. And so Nick started something. And sometimes I think, man, if he could see how many kids we're feeding now, if he could see the impact that it's having now, if he could see the people that are coming to the Lord because of the food now, like it took, and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, he can see it. And he can see it much more than me. I can see the smile. I can see the church attendance. I can see the prayer card, but he can actually see the homes. He can see the conversations. He can see the joy. He can see the peace. Like he can see so much more than me. And I'm fired up about that. And he's cheering you on. He's cheering Carol on. He's cheering us on. He's saying, keep going. And so I want to encourage you, man, that, that we are surrounded all the way up to the bleachers, all the way up to the, the nosebleed section. And I want to finish with, uh, with, with another testimony. We started last week. Um, Dr. Mary Neal shared her story of um, life, uh, this, this experience she had of a near-death experience. And actually, we didn't get to get into it very much, right? We just kind of started. She was kayaking. She died. She was under the water. Um, she, does, she didn't say that, but uh, in, in, in other interviews, she was under the water, she believes, for about at least 15 minutes, somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes, she was... Um, under the water, and she was she was dead, clinically dead. But her spirit 
uh, was was active, was activated, and she was a believer. And um, she has a really interesting story about uh, when she was taken up uh, through a portal uh, and the people that that she met there. And so I just want to leave you with this. I'll come back, close out uh, in prayer, but um, check out Mary's story. You're greeted by this Welcoming committee? Yes. What was it? That's what some it people was a talk committee. about. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me and greet me and make me feel loved and comfortable. And I also knew that they were there to protect me. And protect you from what? I don't know. But you knew that? I absolutely knew that that was part of it, even though I don't know from what they were protecting me. They had physical form. And like humans, they had arms. head, arms, legs. They were wearing uh, robes of sort, but they were absolutely exploding with a pure, pure love. And it was as though uh, they were sort of like the northern lights in that they were of a physical form, but the edges were a little indistinct. They were radiating a brilliance that... Um, is certainly indescribable. It's sort of translucent, pearlescent, uh, shimmery, light. a brilliance of light, just exploding in it. And the light was not just something you would see. If you look at the sun, you see light, and it's blinding. This was really a, a light born out of love. I, I don't know quite how else to explain it. So from your, from your experience of these people, these spiritual beings, what are, what are, what's your sense of what relationship was like? Well, that's really clear because there is no doubt that the only thing that truly matters is loving God and being a window through which God's light can shine to this world and loving each other. So, I mean, from your experience, do you think you will recognize your husband and your kids and... Oh, you mean after... Yeah. Afterward. When, when we're all there. Yes. I absolutely think that people who are important in our life, and I'm not really sure what the right word is, but our life circle, and it may be relatives or it may be people that come into our lives for a very brief period of time and have a profound impact, those may also be part of our, our life's neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it, but yes, I do think that we are all still there in heaven. I think that we do recognize each other. I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the Inside. They were all very busy. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. And so was it like a city bustling with light? Yes. Life or? It was bustling is a great word for it. I didn't particularly look around because I was focused on what was happening to were me immediately. Were you looking through, an, through the I, I looked through and could see all this bustling people bustling about and when I arrived there was this momentary acknowledgement and 
not cheering, but almost like fantastic, welcome. And this, this outpouring of love for me. And again, it was this profound sense of, wow, I, not only do I not deserve this, but it was this profound sense of uh, understanding that that is how each person is created. Mm. I mean, there are billions of us, but that is how much each God loves each special. person. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so that is how much he loves each and every one of us, and he wants us, he wants us to, to be there with him. Um, going back to First Thessalonians, if we can just end with this right here. I want to end with this picture that Paul leaves us. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Did, did, did you catch that? With them. This is, this is interesting because usually the picture of the rapture, which is where we get the, the word rapture comes from this idea of being caught up. It's like we're here on earth and then whoosh, we go up to God. But no, Paul says we'll be caught up, we'll be raptured together with them in the clouds. So the first rapture, it's almost like there's two, two raptures here. The first rapture is with them where we reunite and reconnect. And I don't know how long that lasts. It doesn't say. He just says we'll be caught up together with them. And that word caught up, it really doesn't mean rapture. It, it, it means to gather these things together. So it may be a upward motion, but I don't know. Because like I said, heaven isn't necessarily up. Uh, it's, it, 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 later on, he says that we'll, we'll meet the Lord in the air. And the word air means the lower atmosphere. So the, uh, the air of, of this planet, not, 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 oh, not past the clouds, but the air right here. So it's almost like there's this unveiling or there's this opening up whereby we will be, um, you know, enraptured or caught up. It's almost like, it's almost like when, you, when you have your groceries in your grocery bags and you catch up all of your grocery bags in one trip. Come on, somebody. Ro does that all the time. She can't stand making trips. I say, let's make some trips. But she like loads up multiple bags on each arm. She's got a bag on her foot, hanging one on her ear. And no, I'm just kidding. But she just loads up like all of it, all together. She is the groceries. She raptures it. She catches it all up. And that's the point is that all this stuff will be gathered together. There will be no more separation. There will be no more uh, sin. There will be no more division between us. But we're caught up together. And we were together with them first. And then as a bride that's ready for her groom, we are introduced, he says, to the Lord. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so I just want to leave you with those encouraging words. That it, what's after ATX? An amazing connection, amazing relationships, amazing friendships, amazing love, amazing fellowship that we've never known down here, caught up together, and finally residing with the Lord. We're going to talk about that next week, about the beauty of heaven. 
and the majesty of heaven and the, the newness of heaven. And uh, we're going to discuss that. But just for today, I want to close with inviting you to put your faith in Jesus because that's the only way to get to heaven is by believing in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, putting our faith in him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, agreeing with him about our sins, coming into agreement with him. And so wherever you're at right now, I want to offer just to pray with you. If you'll close your eyes and pray with me, let's pray together. It's just, just, you don't have, there's no special prayer. It's just simply coming to him and agreeing with him about your sin, with the sinfulness of your sin, the wrongfulness of it. Father, forgive us for our sins. We confess our sins to you that we've gone our own way and we've, we've, we've rebelled against you. And we need the blood of Jesus to cover us and to cleanse us. We thank you for the price that Jesus paid on the cross, shedding his blood as an offering, as an eternal offering that's always available to us. So we reach out for that offering, apply the, his blood to the doorpost of our heart, cleanse us, purify us, and make us new. We make a commitment to follow Jesus, to make him the boss of our life, the captain of our destiny. Submit to him in everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us or some kind of prayer, if you're reaching out <clears throat> to God, we want to hear from you. Um, click on the I'm new here or next steps. Um, those are all ways to connect with us. Also, um, another great way <clears throat> is through our small groups. So we have online small groups that are going to dive deeper into this idea of relationships in heaven um, with more stories and more interviews. And if you'd like to be a part of that, um, join our small groups on our Facebook. There's a link to small groups. Also on the website, there's a link. Um, yeah, I see JT also put a little uh, text in there. Um, small group leaders, if you want to comment, with a link uh, either to your email uh, or to your group um, description on our website. That would be awesome. We have different leaders leading different nights. It's not the exact same thing every night. And they truly do get into more stories than I'm able to get into today. And so if you liked Mary's story, if you like JT's story, um, click on one of those small group leaders links and um, connect with them this week. Uh, it really is, I believe, something worth taking about 50 minutes of your time um, to discuss, to think about, and to look at the biblical uh, implication of life after death. So I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you're fired up to keep going, to take that next step, and to uh, just keep connecting with Jesus and with his church. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, uh, we're so glad that you're with us. And uh, if you have any questions, we're here for you. Also, if you need any groceries, uh, we are here on Thursday nights, 6 o'clock. Uh, it's free to come to our food pantry. We fed a record 161 people last Thursday night. <laughs> Curbside, man. So um, anyway, if you, if you need something, we're here for you. Uh, we love you. God bless you. Have a good week. If you're dismissed, you can get up and move around your couch and living room. You can go all the way to the kitchen if you like. <laughs>